Hey everybody, it's Jake Heller back again for episode 22 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Happy Thursday. I appreciate all of your support on the Jake's Take podcast page on Facebook. Lots to cover on today's show as usual. Going to recap the quadruple header weekend at Richmond Raceway. That's right, four races were there this past weekend. Week one of the 2020 NFL season is in the books. And obviously going to preview the triple header weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. That starts tonight with the truck series. And week two of the 2020 NFL season. Tonight we have the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. But nevertheless, it feels good that football is back. So as I said, four races this past weekend at Richmond Raceway, starting with the trucks Thursday night, doubleheader, the last doubleheader of the year, Xfinity on Friday night and Saturday afternoon, and then the cup race on Saturday night. Grant Enfinger, three wins on the season, three wins on the season, winning last Thursday night at Richmond Raceway, definitely having some momentum going into the playoffs that start tonight at Bristol Motor Speedway. And real quick, just want to take a quick look at the drivers, that the 10 drivers that will make up the playoff field in the NASCAR Truck Series. So as I said tonight, at Bristol Motor Speedway, we have Grant Enfinger and Brett Moffitt on the front row. That's going to be very, very entertaining. Hopefully the weather holds up. The weather is looking very, very iffy for tonight at Bristol Motor Speedway at the moment, but you never know. So these are the 10 drivers that will be fighting it out for the NASCAR Truck Series Championship over these next seven races. The number two of Sheldon Creed, 2,026 points, three wins on the season. Daytona, road course, Kentucky, and also at Gateway. The number 21 of Zane Smith, his teammate, 2,022 points, two wins at Michigan and Dover. Austin Hill, 2,022 points, the win at Kansas Speedway, the first Kansas race on July 24th. Grant Enfinger, 2,019 points, as I said, the three wins on the year, Daytona, Atlanta, and Richmond. Number 23 at Brett Moffitt, 2,015 points. It is so hard to believe that he still does not have a win on the year. Number 88 of Matt Crafton, our defending series champion, 2,009 points, one win. The Saturday race at Kansas back in July. Christian Eckes, 2,005 points, best finish of second at Texas Motor Speedway back in July. Todd Gillen in the number 38, 2,003 points. And Tyler Ankrum, 2,002 points. His best finish was second at Homestead Miami Speedway. Also, Ben Rhodes, 2,014 points, the win that he had at Darlington on September 6th. So real quick, just to give a quick preview of tonight and moving forward, for tonight, my buddy Jason Boone, he is going with the number 98 of Grant Enfinger. He feels like he will keep that momentum up. You know, I've picked him many, many times this year, and I'm going to have to pick him again because I still can't believe that he has gone this deep into the season without a win. And he did win this race last year, the Truck Series race at Bristol Motor Speedway, so I have to go with the number 23 of Brett Moffat. Now, Xfinity. Friday night and Saturday afternoon at Richmond Raceway. What a turnaround Justin Allgaier has had over the past, not even the past month, the past three or four weeks. I mean, this was a guy all year long that was just plagued by bad luck. I mean, remember the, the June race at Bristol. Dominated the race, getting wrecked by his teammate Noah Gregson with just five laps to go. 
And Justin, you know, he talked about it on the Dale Jr. download the other day. And I would go back and listen to that if I were you. It was a, a very, very good episode. Justin was very open, very honest, talked about how he was ready to walk away from NASCAR altogether. Altogether. And Darlington in 2015 at the Southern 500. It just so happened that him and Dale Earnhardt Jr., they were riding in the back of a pickup truck together at driver introductions because they qualify next to each other. And he asked Justin what his plans were for 2016. And Justin said, I don't really have any. I'm probably going to walk away and spend more time with my family. And Dale Jr. said to him, he said, hey, come drive for us next year in the Xfinity Series. He's been there ever since. They've won tons of races. They've come close on the championship, whether it was 2016, 2017, last year. And, I mean, here, you know, he won the Saturday race at Dover. He dominated the weekend at Richmond, winning both races. And he's on the pole for Friday night. So I would not be surprised one bit. I got to, like I said, I'm going to have to go with him. Justin Allgaier for three in a row, Friday night, tomorrow at Bristol Motor Speedway. And my buddy Jason Boone, his favorite Xfinity driver, Justin Moneymaker Haley. <laughs> sure enough, that is his pick for tomorrow night at Bristol Motor Speedway. Now, Saturday night, September 12th, the Federated Auto Parts 400 at Richmond Raceway. What a dominant, dominant performance by Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bollins, and the two crew to win the race at Richmond, leading 192 of 400 laps. 192, and when Brad Keselowski was doing some of his media obligations this past Thursday, and they asked him about his chances to win at Richmond Raceway, he said, oh, we're going to win. He said, I will be disappointed if we go there and we don't dominate and win. This is the same car that he dominated and won with at New Hampshire on August 2nd that led 184 out of 301 laps. They took that same car to Richmond on Saturday night. They started ninth on the field because of all the issues that Brad had in the Southern 500 when he had that right front tire go down and hit the wall early on in the race in between turns three and four. And it didn't take long for him to work his way up through the field. Obviously, you know, the first green flag run of the race, as usual, it was Kevin Harvick, it was Denny Hamlin, it was the two of them leading. Denny took the lead early on. Sure enough, he won that first stage. And I think the most surprising thing from Saturday night and of the playoffs so far is the number three of Austin Dillon. And you guys know how critical I have been of Austin Dillon pretty much his entire career. You know, I've always been of the belief that he never really had to work for or earn his place in the sport, obviously with Richard Childress being his grandfather. And, you know, his win at Texas Motor Speedway back in July, that was, there was some luck and pit strategy that went into it. Same situation when he got a top five finish at Las Vegas Motor Speedway back in February. But I got to give credit where credit is due. Austin Dillon has driven the wheels off of that three car these past two races, finishing second in the Southern 500. If that Southern 500 was one lap longer, he probably could have beaten the guy that he replaced at RCR, Kevin Harvick. And also, you know, at Richmond, like I said, him and Denny Hamlin, they showed so much speed early on. And right after that first stage, Austin Dillon and Denny Hamlin, they both sped on pit road. What makes the difference is usually, you know, Denny Hamlin and Austin Dillon, they speed down pit road and you would think, well, yeah, you know, Denny, he's, it's only going to be a matter of time. He'll work his way back up to the front. Austin, you know, his day is shot. 
he's pretty much just going to hover around there and finish somewhere down in the 20s. That was not the case. Matter of fact, Austin Dillon, he drove his way back up through the field. Denny Hamlin, on the other hand, Denny struggled mightily. Once he lost all that track possession, I couldn't believe it. And Austin, to lead 55 laps of the race, obviously that's the most laps he has ever led in a NASCAR Cup Series race. And, you know, afterwards, after Denny had a speeding penalty, it pretty much became a battle of the Penske cars with Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano. And, you know, Joey, he looked good early on. You know, he led 45 laps. And sure enough, that second stage, Brad raced him and raced him hard to get the lead. I mean, they were side by side, lap after lap after lap. You know, the thing is, Brad would drive down into the corner so hard, he would gain so much time on Joey. But obviously, since he was driving in there so hard, Joey would just get a better run up off the corner. And they went down to turn three. They didn't even really touch all that much. And, you know, Joey almost kind of anticipated that that Brad was going to run into him. So, you know, he overcorrected and shot up the racetrack. And here came Brad right by to scoot on by and take the lead and pull away. And I think the surprising thing is TJ Majors. TJ, he's had a very long relationship with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and with, with Brad Keselowski. When Brad was coming up through the ranks, when he drove for Junior Motorsports in 2007, 2008, 2009, and even afterwards, when Brad had his own truck team and would do his truck races, he would still have TJ Major spot for him. And I was pretty disappointed when, when TJ came over the radio after Joey lost the lead to Brad, and TJ said to the effect, he said, oh, he's like, He's like, we should have run into him at Darlington just like he ran into us. TJ, I love you, buddy, but man, you got blinders right there. Even Dale Earnhardt Jr. even said it on, on the TV broadcast himself. He's like, they didn't even really touch, you know? So dominant performance by Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bullins on the two crew. They won the second stage, and they led a good portion of the third stage. And Austin Dillon, I got to give credit, Austin Dillon had good long run speed, and he was running second to Brad Keselowski. And the crazy thing about Richmond anymore is how quickly the tires wear out, just like Darlington or Atlanta, Miami, some of these places. Like, Richmond has become a track where you have to conserve your tires. And, you know, the thing is, seeing Jeremy Bullins doing his usual strategy, pitting Brad Keselowski as late as possible... And seeing Brad being able to charge back up through the field, just having a few more laps on those new tires and everything, God, did it make such a difference. And of course, I think the biggest difference in the turning point was when they were getting ready to make their last set of green flag pit stops. And Justin Alexander, he called Austin Dillon down pit road. And Austin was trying his best to make up time to Brad Keselowski, and he overdrove the entry on the pit road and missed it, had to do another lap around the track, and that was what made the difference in the end. So Brad Keselowski goes on to win his fourth win of 2020, the 34th of his career, and his second at Richmond, the September race of 2014. He led 383 of 400 laps, this time around 192 of 400 laps. And like he told Jeremy Bollins and the new two crew, and like me and Jason Boone, like both of us have been saying for the past week or so now, the past two weeks, I love that motto. I love that rally cry that Brad Keselowski and the two crew have. Why not us? And like Jason Boone likes to say, why not us? Why not now? Woo! <laughs> I'm telling you guys, I got to get Boone on here ASAP. He would be so much fun to have on here. 
So you know what? I know I picked Kevin Harvick to win this championship. And I know I've, I've been saying for weeks upon weeks upon weeks, you know, to be the best, you got to be the best. Well, Kevin Harvick, you know, he made a big mistake on Saturday night too. You know, he didn't come on the pit road properly. His right front wheel hit, hit, the, hit the box right there. And that was a penalty, commitment line violation. So he ended up finishing seventh. I'm going to say this right now. So Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bullins, and the two crew. I didn't have much expectations for them going into the year. They've already doubled the amount of wins that I expected out of them this year. I said, you know, if they can win two races and make it to the round of eight, I'll be happy with that. New crew chief, new pit crew, contract rumors, you name it. Everything was working against them going into this year. And they got off to a slow start before the pandemic shut the season down. But I'll tell you what, to win the Coca-Cola 600, to win Bristol back in May, granted, there might have been a little bit of luck that went into those races, but whatever, win's a win. But this car, and Brad did a few donuts on Saturday night, but he said, I don't want to tear this car up, I want to take this car to Phoenix. That car won New Hampshire, leading 184 of 301 laps. That car dominated and won on Saturday night at Richmond, leading 192 of 400 laps, beating Martin Trex Jr. by almost three seconds. I will say this right here. I will say this right now. If Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bullins, and that two crew, if they make it to Phoenix, knowing that they could take that car there for that championship four race, if they make it to Phoenix in that championship four, they will win this championship. I repeat, if Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bullins, and the two crew make it to the championship four at Phoenix, they will win the championship. You can put that in bold print right now. Just like Jimmy Johnson back in the, the 1993 NFC Championship with the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers when Jimmy called into a radio station, he said, we will win the ball game. And you can put that in bold print. And I'm not saying this as a Brad Keselowski fan. I am saying this as someone that has studied and analyzed this sport for close to 20 years now. With all the odds that have been against them all year, knowing how dominant that car is, knowing the similarities and characteristics that Phoenix has to New Hampshire and Richmond being flat tracks, knowing how dominant they have been with this 750 horsepower low downforce package, they will win the championship. I'm not trying to discredit Kevin Harvick. I'm not trying to discredit Denny Hamlin and whoever that fourth driver would be in the championship for. But this is the way I see it right now. I have a firm, firm belief that Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bullins, and the two crew, I am changing my championship pick right now. I am picking them to win the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series championship. So Saturday night at Bristol Motor Speedway, it's the last race of the round of 16. So obviously, Kevin Harvick winning the Southern 500, Brad Keselowski winning on Saturday night at Richmond, Denny Hamlin, even though he finished 12th, those three guys, they have accumulated enough points. Well, in Denny Hamlin's case, he's accumulated enough points. They have already clinched the spot in the round of 12. Looking at the rest of the field, fourth place, Joey Logano in the championship. He finished third on Saturday night. He has 2,109 points, so, I mean... He could finish about 30th on Saturday night and still be in good shape. Martin Trex Jr., fifth in the championship, 2,096 points. The thing with Martin is, as great as he is to finish second, 
Bristol undoubtedly is one of his worst tracks. He has the worst luck in the world. There are only two top five finishes. Second in August of 2011 to Brad Keselowski and third in March of 2012 behind Brad Keselowski and Matt Kenseth. Sure enough, the Michael Waltrip days. That is how long it has been since Martin Trex Jr. has had a top five finish at Bristol. He always seems to get swept up in something. I cannot believe that Austin Dillon is sixth in points. Two consecutive top five finishes, 2,094 points. And Austin does have a top five at Bristol. He was fourth there back in August of 2016. The number nine of Chase Elliott, he finished fifth on Saturday night. And, you know, Chase, I will say, I feel like he definitely, him and Alan Gustafson, they definitely have something figured out when it comes to Bristol. They were going to win there in May before he took out himself and Joey Logano with two laps to go. And Brad Keselowski was there to take advantage and pick up the victory. Sure enough, Chase won the All-Star Race there on July 15th. Chase, he has 2,086 points. Here's the most shocking thing of all. His teammate, the number 88 of Alex Bowman, he's 8th in points. He finished ninth at Richmond on Saturday night. He finally got a top 10 at Richmond, the track that he's complained about pretty much his entire career. Alex, he has 2,085 points. Sure enough, the very first top 5 finish of his career came at Bristol in April 2018, finishing 5th. Granted, there was a lot of luck that went into it because of a lot of wrecks and tire failures. Nevertheless, you know, he finished in the top 10 in both those races. He got a top 10 in the all-star race. So, you know, as long as he doesn't drive into an accident like he did in May that he could have easily avoided, I definitely see Alex Bowman moving on to the round of 12. Number 18, Kyle Busch finishing sixth on Saturday night without Adam Stevens, who was suspended because of two missed lug nuts at Darlington. Jacob Kanner, who was his crew chief in the Xfinity race on Friday night. He, sure enough, was the interim crew chief. Kyle has eight wins at Bristol, easily his best track, 2,076 points going into Saturday night. Big brother Kurt, man, the struggles continue, finishing 13th, six wins at Bristol, his best track as well. But Kurt has 2,065 points. Here's the biggest one, Eric Almarola. The amazing and consistent season that he has had, he finished eighth on Saturday night, Eric only has 2,065 points. He is only nine points ahead of 13th place William Byron. He gets caught up in a wreck like he did back in May. He's going to get knocked out of the first round. And his teammate, Clint Boyer, finished ninth with Greg Zipidelli. Johnny Klossmeyer was suspended for Richmond because of two missed lug nuts as well. And Clint finished second to Brad Keselowski back in May at Bristol. So obviously this is a good track for Clint, but he is only three points ahead of William Byron. Like I said, William Byron, what a struggle on Saturday night, finishing 21st. And, man, he is only three points behind Clint Boyer right now, 2,058 points. He did get a top 10 at Bristol back in May. He did get a top 10. Well, I mean, he won the All-Star Open in July. So it's. I would love to see William Byron move on to the round of 12, but he's definitely in a precarious position. Ricky Cole Custer, he finished 14th. He is five points behind Matt DiBenedetto, 17th. He has pretty much been invisible this entire playoff run. 2,036 points, and we all know how good Matt is at Bristol. Finishing sixth there with Burger King Racing, almost winning this race last year, driving the 95 for Levine Family Racing. But when they were there in May, he struggled badly with that car and got caught up in a wreck and finished 30th. But the biggest shock, more than anything, Ryan Blaney, 16th, 
bottom of the barrel in the playoffs. The struggles continue. He was terrible at Darlington, even before Todd Gordon got ejected. And Richmond has not been a good track for him either. Sure enough, they had he had to come back down pit road, the first pit stop for loose lug nuts, and he finished 19th. 19th. He only has 2,034 points. For Ryan Blaney, this is must-win territory. If he doesn't win on Saturday night, he's done. He's done. I picked him to go to the round of eight. My mom and Jason Boone, both of them, they had Blaney go into the final four. Who would have thought that Ryan Blaney in a Penske car, his first year with Todd Gordon, it's been a breakout year for Ryan Blaney. Who the hell thought that he could be getting knocked out of the first round? Man, that's sad. That's really sad. And that's the thing. You know, Blaney, he's led over 400 laps at Bristol. Obviously, that's the best of any racetrack in his career. But he always seems to get swept up in something. Him and Brad, they were running 1-2 there in May. And, uh, you know, he was getting ready to try and try and pass Brad back for the lead. And he got up out of the groove, and he spun, and he would have been fine. And then six seconds later, Ty Dillon came in, clobbered him, and knocked the radiator out. I mean, this is this is absolutely unbelievable. And imagine, like he'll if he gets knocked out of the round of sixteen, how bittersweet is that going to be if he goes down to Talladega in two weeks and wins that race, and he's already out of the playoff picture. Man, man, that's sad. But like I said, the way I look at it, I mean, anything could happen at Bristol. But barring some sort of miracle for Ryan Blaney, Matt Benedetto, this is pretty much the end of the line for them as far as their playoff hopes go. So, Saturday night, 7.30, NBCSN, the Bass Pro Shops NRA night race. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Steve Letarte, Jeff Burton, and Rick Allen with the call. And Denny Hamlin, he is the defending winner of this race. Brad Keselowski, as I said, he won... At Bristol back in May and Chase Elliott, he won the All-Star Race at Bristol back in July. I will not be surprised. I definitely feel like it is going to come down to those two on Saturday night. And the fun part about all of this is this is where me and Boone, this is where our picks go our separate ways. So he said, I don't want to pick him, but I feel like I have to. He said, I'm taking Chase Elliott. For the win on Saturday night. And I told him, I said, man, I'm like, that's a good pick. I mean, like I said, he was going to win there in May before he wrecked himself and Joey. And sure enough, he won the All-Star Race. But for me, my pick for Saturday night, I think it's pretty obvious. It's the same pick I had for this race back in May. And it's the same pick that I had that I have just changed as far as my championship goes. That's right. The number two of Brad Keselowski. He is my pick to go to Victory Lane Saturday night at Bristol Motor Speedway. He's starting first, just like he did back in May. And was there a little bit of luck that went into that win back in May? Sure. But you know what? A win's a win. A win's a win. And sure enough, he's starting first. That race that he won in May, he led 115 laps. He overcame a speeding penalty to win the race. I'm a firm believer in momentum. Momentum is one of the most underrated things in the world, especially in sports. Look at all the momentum that Brad has on his side right now. You've heard about Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin all season long. Now all of a sudden people are starting to talk about, wow, look at Brad Keselowski. Wow. And I mean, he, he definitely could be the third guy in this championship. He could be the one to upset Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin. So that's it. Brad Keselowski 
is my pick to go to Victory Lane Saturday night at Bristol Motor Speedway. Why not us? Why not now? He has three Cup Series wins at Bristol Motor Speedway, the night race in 2011, the spring race in 2012, the year that he won his championship. And sure enough, like I said, the win there in May, had a good shot to win the All-Star Race back in July, ended up finishing fourth behind Chase, Kyle Busch, and Kevin Harvick. So there you go. Brad Keselowski, my pick for Saturday night. Now, week two of the 2020 NFL season begins tonight. Wish it was a better matchup. (laughs) The Cincinnati Bengals, 0-1 versus the 0-1 Cleveland Browns, 8-20 on NFL Network. And the thing is, when I look at these two Ohio teams, Joe Burrow impressed the hell out of me in his NFL debut. He pretty much did everything that he could to try and win that game. Credit to the Los Angeles Chargers. They have one of the most underrated defenses out there. Casey Hayward, he was just named AFC Defensive Player of the Week. And, you know, they ended up limiting limiting Cincinnati to 295 total yards. They won 16 to 13. Of course, who can who can forget? Randy Bullock missing a 31-yard field goal that would have sent it to overtime. You know, like the whole saying goes, that's that's the bungles right then and there. So you look at that, and then you look at the Cleveland Browns. What a train wreck that was on Sunday. Going to Baltimore getting destroyed 38-6. Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham Jr., Baker Mayfield having horrible days. Horrible days. And I will never forget, Boone sent me a voice message. Probably about, I would say maybe about halfway through the 1 o'clock games on Sunday. And he said, he's like, I think I am now officially done with the Cleveland Browns. He's like, every year I have tried to buy into the hype of the Cleveland Browns. Never more. Never more. (laughs) So when I look at tonight, the Battle of Ohio, two teams that are desperate for a win, two number one draft picks as well. Joe Burrow, the number one pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. Baker Mayfield, the number one pick in the 2018 NFL Draft. I'm going to have to go with Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals on this one. Now to the Sunday games we go. One o'clock. The 1-0 Jacksonville Jaguars versus the 1-0 Tennessee Titans. Woo! Oh, I know Sean Rosansky is fired up for this one. (laughs) If there is one team that he wants the Tennessee Titans to beat more than anyone, it is definitely the Jacksonville Jaguars. I never expected, like I said on the show last week, I thought for sure that Jacksonville was going to tank this year. I thought they were easily going to be the number one pick. They were going to get Trevor Lawrence in the 2021 NFL Draft. They beat... The Indianapolis Colts, 27-20. Gardner Minshew, you know, Minshew mania, take it however you want. Gardner Minshew only had one incomplete pass the whole game. That's incredible. I mean, granted, he only threw like 20 passes, but still, I cannot believe how Jacksonville, no matter how much they have struggled ever since that one-year wonder in 2017 when they blew a 10-point lead in the AFC Championship against the Patriots. For whatever reason, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they seem to have Indianapolis's number right now. And Phillip Rivers, I mean, the numbers, they were good, but they weren't great. Just like Phillip Rivers, his last year with the Chargers, the one problem is turning the ball over. And you look at the Tennessee Titans, 16-14, to a very ugly win in the late, late Monday night game against the Denver Broncos. Steven Gostowski, 
reuniting with his former Patriots teammate Mike Vrabel, but look at all the missed field goals, all the missed extra points. I think it was like four altogether. I think it was like two field goals, two extra points. Oh, that was ugly. And you look at all the injuries that Denver has too, whether it's Von Miller, whether it's Cortland Sutton. So, I mean, for Tennessee, <clears throat> so for Tennessee, I mean, it was definitely an ugly, ugly victory. But one thing with the Tennessee Titans, that offense, it lives and dies with Derrick Henry, number 22. A running back that's built like a defensive end, and he has Jacksonville's number. Sean was at the game in 2018 when he ran for a 99-yard touchdown Thursday night against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And sure enough, he had another monstrous touchdown run last year when they played the Jaguars. They beat them 42-21 to in that game. So I can't disappoint my man Sean Rosansky. This one is a pretty easy pick. I'm going with the Tennessee Titans, baby. Woo! The 0-1 Carolina Panthers and the 0-1 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Wow. Carolina, I got to give credit where credit's due. They played the Raiders tough. They lost 34-30, but monstrous day for Christian McCaffrey. Two touchdowns. Robbie Anderson and his Panthers debut. Over 100 yards, one touchdown. I mean, they played them tough. But I think definitely the biggest disappointment this past Sunday was definitely Tom Brady. Tom Brady and his Tampa Bay Buccaneers debut, a lot of bad throws, a lot of mistakes, two interceptions, one that was a pick six. You know, I'm sure Jameis Winston on the New Orleans sideline, I'm sure he was thinking, huh, I could have done this too. (laughs) But obviously the other big storyline is how critical Bruce Arians was of Tom Brady after the game was over. And he blamed those two interceptions on Tom Brady. And of course, Skip Bayless being Skip Bayless, you know, Oh, God, if you if you say anything bad about Tom Brady, I mean, that's sacrilegious right there. But you got to realize something. Bruce Arians, he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to tell you exactly what it is. He said it in his football life that NFL Network did in 2015. He said, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what's the truth, and the truth don't hurt. And that's the thing. You know, sure enough, Tom made two very, very bad throws, two very bad decisions on those picks. And, you know, Chris Godwin, he didn't really have much of a day, and he's now in concussion protocol. So Tampa, I think that they're definitely going to come out inspired. I think Tom Brady, you know, as Skip Bayless always says, psycho Tom, I think he's going to come out fired up and pissed off. So sure enough, i got to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on this one. The 0-1 Denver Broncos at the 1-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, the first half of that game, Monday night against the Giants, it looked awful. Ben was rusty as expected. I mean, God, his first game in 365 days. But, sure enough, he got into a rhythm right before halftime. And, God, him him and Juju Smith-Schuster, what a connection those two have. Sure enough, this was the first multi-touchdown game of Juju Smith-Schuster's career, believe it or not. And Ben, like I said, the second half of that game, he looked amazing. The three touchdowns that he had that for that team to win 26-16. to And their defense, their defense especially. Saquon Barkley was limited to six yards. Six yards. Ben Roethlisberger ran for nine yards. So think about that. Ben Roethlisberger, 6'5", 260 pounds. He had more rushing yards than Saquon Barkley. 11 tackles for, for a loss. T.J. Watt and Cameron Hayward with the two interceptions. You know, I'm telling you, I really, really am excited about the Steelers this year. 
Ben Roethlisberger's back. Juju Smith-Schuster has his guy back. That defense, they are healthy. They are at home. I know it's going to feel different not having any fans there on Sunday, but nevertheless, I got to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers on this one. The 1-0 Los Angeles Rams against the 0-1 Philadelphia Eagles. Boy, was that ugly on Sunday, blowing a 17-point lead against the Washington football team. And they are banged up on both sides of the ball, offensive line and defensive line. And like Boone said, especially about his Eagles, you know, you got to build around the trenches. And for all the injuries that they have on their offensive line, their defensive line, Miles Sanders not being able to play, Vinnie Curry, Brandon Graham, those guys going down on Sunday. And for Carson Wentz to be sacked eight times. And now, now we're hearing all this talk about possible tension between Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson might be on the hot seat if they don't make the playoffs this year. Oh boy, what an ugly start to the season for the Philadelphia Eagles. Los Angeles Rams, you know, to win 20-17 to against the Dallas Cowboys, I'm not going to lie, you know, they got away with one there at the end. That offensive passing interference call on Michael Gallup right there at the end of the game, that was BS. We all know how Jalen Ramsey, we all know how much of an actor he is, how he tries to get the ref's attention and everything. That should not have been offensive passing interference on Michael Gallup. I'm sorry. But nevertheless, their defensive line, business as usual, the way that, the way that they pretty much threw Zeke Elliott right into Dak Prescott. I got to go with the Rams on this one. The 0-1 San Francisco 49ers at the 0-1 New York Jets. I still cannot believe that they lost to the Arizona Cardinals. Is it the Super Bowl hangover? I don't know. But nevertheless, I got to go with the San Francisco 49ers on this one. I got to give credit to the Arizona Cardinals. I did not expect, I thought, I said it last week, this is the most overrated team going into the year. They really, really impressed me. Especially being able to win in Santa Clara, and they're now 9-2 and against the San Francisco 49ers in their last 11 matchups. That's incredible. So, taking the 49ers. The 1-0 Buffalo Bills at the 0-1 Miami Dolphins. Like Boone was saying, his dark horse MVP pick, Josh Allen. Josh had the first 300-yard game of his career. He ran for 57 yards, got a rushing touchdown as well. Beating the Jets 27-17. Miami, I think it's only a matter of time until Tua Tungavailoa takes over to lose 21-11 in New England. I still cannot believe that. And Boone said that is his lock of the week, is the Buffalo Bills over the Miami Dolphins. The 0-1 Minnesota Vikings, the 0-1 Indianapolis Colts. I look at this, I mean, these are two desperate teams for a win. Two teams that a lot of people expect to make the playoffs this year. And I'm still, I'm still shocked with the amount of turnovers that Phillip Rivers made. Dalvin Cook, you know, he had, he had a pretty, pretty awesome day. So I got to go with the Vikings. 0-1 Detroit Lions, 1-0 Green Bay Packers. God, a 17-point lead blown for the Detroit Lions. And it's like Brad Keselowski and his little brother Brian said, it's tough being a Detroit Lions fan sometimes. <laughs> so... You look at that, you look at Aaron Rodgers, four touchdowns, obviously all the talk going into the year, is this going to be his last year in Green Bay? Are things okay with him and Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love? And I mean, hey, it's Aaron Rodgers, it's Lambeau Field, it's week two of the NFL season. You'd be a fool not to take the Green Bay Packers on this one. The 0-1 Atlanta Falcons at the 0-1 Dallas Cowboys, you know, 
Atlanta, you know, they had a tough matchup, obviously. You know, Dan Quinn pretty much being taken to school by his old mentor, Pete Carroll, once again. The Dallas Cowboys, like I said, they got robbed of a victory this past Sunday night against the Rams. And they definitely, that definitely shouldn't have been offensive passing interference. And, you know, Dak Prescott, he had two touchdowns. Zeke Elliott had two touchdowns. The problem, the problem is all of the injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Sean Lee, he had to get surgery. Leighton Vander Esch, sadly, you know, it sounds like this could possibly be career ending after he just had surgery last year. And that's, that's another thing, too. All the amount of injuries this first week of the NFL season. It definitely felt like preseason when you look at some of the way that the teams performed. And another great friend of mine, Danny Williams, he said that he couldn't believe the amount of injuries that he already has on his fantasy team. Kenny Galladay, Detroit Lions, Michael Thomas, New Orleans Saints, who has an ankle injury and is probably going to be out for weeks. Le'Veon Bell, who was put on short-term injured reserve because of a hamstring and Leighton Van Der Esch. And Danny was saying, he's like, what the hell, man? Already the first week of the season. It's crazy. I've already got a decent amount of injuries on both of my teams, too. But got to go with the Dallas Cowboys on this one. 0-1 New York Giants, 1-0 Chicago Bears. I still cannot believe the comeback that they made. Mitch Trubisky. It seems like Mitch Trubisky, it seems like if there was one team that he always performs his best against, it's always the Detroit Lions. And the New York Giants, like I said, they, they, I got to admit, they kept the Pittsburgh Steelers honest for three quarters. It really wasn't until the fourth quarter that the Steelers started to pull away. Daniel Jones, that's an awesome connection that he has with Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton has had a boatload of touchdowns ever since week five of the NFL season last year. And that's the one problem with the Steelers' defense, and Mike Tomlin talked about it too, is they got to do a better job stopping the offense on third down. And how many times did we see Daniel Jones in that game on Monday night, whether it was to Darius Slayton, whether it was to Evan Ingram, whether he just took off himself for the first down. They've got to do a better job stopping the offense on third down. So I look at this game, i got to go with the Chicago Bears. Now we move to the 4 o'clock games, the 1-0 Washington football team. <laughs> look, I'm going to be as politically incorrect as I could be. I'm, I'm always going to call them the Redskins. <laughs> Hail to the Redskins. <laughs> but the Washington football team, 1-0 against the 1-0 Arizona Cardinals. DeAndre Hopkins had 14 catches for 151 yards in his debut as an Arizona Cardinal. And sure enough, that little cryptic tweet that he sent out Thursday night after the Texans lost to the Kansas City Chiefs when he said that he was grateful. And the Washington defensive line, Ryan Kerrigan, the most sacks ever in Washington history. Chase Young in his NFL debut, wreaking havoc already on Carson Wentz and that Eagles offensive line. And Ron Rivera, my God, you got to love the guy. This is a guy that is undergoing cancer treatment right now. And at halftime of that game, when they were down 17-0, sure enough, he got an IV. Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback, he gave the halftime speech. Like I said, Ron Rivera... I don't expect them to make the playoffs. I don't expect an overnight miracle as far as you know them making the playoffs or whatnot. But you could tell that Washington is inspired, that they want to play hard for him, that they will go to bat for him, that he has brought discipline to the locker room in Washington that has obviously been lacking for a very, very long time. But as badly as I want to take the Washington football team, I got to go with the Arizona Cardinals. 
The Super Bowl champion, 1-0, Kansas City Chiefs at the 1-0 Los Angeles Chargers, their first game at SoFi Stadium. Beautiful, beautiful stadium. And, you know, Kansas City, it was regular season form right off the bat, beating Houston 34-20 in the kickoff game. Deshaun Watson, business as usual, three touchdowns. Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, you know. I mean, it's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He had 138 yards in his debut. Legereus Sneed, his NFL debut, making an impact on defense. Los Angeles Chargers, like I said, their defense is very, very underrated. But nevertheless, the Chiefs, they have had the Chargers number for quite some time. Like I said, they're still my Super Bowl pick. I would be absolutely foolish to bet against the Kansas City Chiefs. The 1-0 Baltimore Ravens at the 0-1 Houston Texans. Lamar Jackson, to no surprise, AFC Offensive Player of the Week. The Houston Texans, like I said, I feel like they are going to take a step back this year, obviously, with Bill O'Brien trading DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson. Sure enough, I know he got the first touchdown of the game against Kansas City, but, I mean, really, what else have they done other than that? 425 CBS, I would imagine that Romo and Nance are going to be calling this game, so sure enough, I have to go with Baltimore. Sunday Night Football, 820 on NBC, the 1-0 New England Patriots versus the 1-0 Seattle Seahawks. First and foremost, I just want to say that my thoughts, prayers, and condolences are with Bill Belichick. He lost his mother, Jeanette, on Monday night. She was 98 years old. And Bill, you know, he's he's a very, he's mysterious for sure, the way his personality is. He could be very frosty with the media. He could also crack a few jokes here and there. But, you know, Bill, over the years, he has talked about the impact that his parents, Stephen and Jeanette, had on him. He said that his father, Stephen, obviously that was the impact that he needed and the drive and ambition that he needed to become a football coach because Stephen he worked with the Navy's football team, with the U.S. Navy football team for a long, long time, whether it was recruiting. And when Stephen passed away in 2005, when he delivered the eulogy at his father's funeral, he talked at length about the impact that his mother has had on him as well. So like I said, my thoughts and prayers go out to Bill Belichick and his family. 98 years, that's, that's a great life to live. And Cam Newton in his Patriots debut... I think it was the most rushing yards a quarterback has ever had for the New England Patriots, to no surprise. 21-11 to 11 over the Dolphins, but Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, the Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll, it was his birthday the other day, two days ago. He turned 69 years old. So Sunday night, you're going to have the two oldest coaches in the NFL, 69-year-old Pete Carroll, 68-year-old Bill Belichick going up against each other. And how ironic, Pete Carroll was the last head coach for the Patriots before Bill Belichick took over in 2000. Russell Wilson, 38-25 to over Atlanta. Only four incomplete passes, four touchdowns, NFC Offensive Player of the Week. It still blows my mind that he has not received a single MVP vote. And I know that you know Cam Newton, he's got something to prove this year. He's trying to win Comeback Player of the Year, just like Ben Roethlisberger. And I know the Patriots, I know they're going to come out inspired and want to win one for Bill Belichick and the memory of his mother. But nevertheless, you're in Seattle. I know the fans are not going to be there. But Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, DK Metcalf, that defense, I would be such a fool to bet against them. And Monday night, Monday night, 50 years to the day of the very first ever Monday night football game. It was the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns. The good old Joe Namath days. But we're going to have a little more history on Monday night. The 1-0 New Orleans Saints... 
the very first ever game in Las Vegas, taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. And, you know, the Raiders, like I said, awesome win, great game, one of the best games of the weekend this past Sunday when they beat New Orleans 34-30. to You know, Derek Carr, like Kyle Williams has said, this is, well, I mean, he's said it for three years now, this is pretty much a make-or-break year for him. Josh Jacobs, what an amazing game he had on Sunday with the three touchdowns. Daniel Carlson, their kicker, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. He nailed every single field goal and extra point there was. But, you know, Drew Brees, I know he's going to be without Michael Thomas for the foreseeable future, but you've got Alvin Kamara, you've got Jared Cook, you've got Traquan Smith, you've got so many weapons, and, of course, Cameron Jordan on the other side of the ball, Will Lutz being one of the most clutch kickers in the game. I think that this is going to be a barn burner, and it's going to go right down the wire. I am going to take the New Orleans Saints to spoil the homecoming and christening of Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. <laughs> so that was certainly a lot to cover on this show. Just a quick recap. My picks for the weekend in NASCAR. For tonight, I am going with Brett Moffitt in the Truck Series race, weather permitting. For the Xfinity race, I am going with Justin Allgaier tomorrow night. And for the cup race Saturday night, I am going with the number two of Brad Keselowski, my new championship pick. Why not us? Why not now? And a quick recap of Boone's picks. He is going with Grant Enfinger tonight, Justin Moneymaker Haley tomorrow night. And for the cup race on Saturday night, the number nine of Chase Elliott. And a quick recap of my picks in the NFL for tonight, Cincinnati, for Sunday, Tennessee, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles Rams, San Francisco, Buffalo, Minnesota, Green Bay, Dallas, Chicago, Arizona, Kansas City, Baltimore, Seattle, and for Monday night, the New Orleans Saints. So that's going to do it for episode 22 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Be sure to tell all your friends about the Jake's Take podcast page on Facebook. Click the like button. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the races this weekend. Have a great day. Y'all take it easy.